It's that time, guys. It's that time to turn in your Bible to Isaiah. Let's do that. Turn to Isaiah. And we find ourselves today in Isaiah chapter 42. And remember, uh, we're in the the second half of the book. The first half of the book is chapters 1 to 39. Uh, It largely recounts uh, Israel's uh, disobedience and their idolatry and their injustice, the corruption of their leaders. And uh, in the midst of that, God has revealed himself in significant ways. Uh, he has um, threatened discipline and judgment for his people that, that will not repent. And at the same time, he has promised a redemption, a restoration that, uh, that God will keep a remnant of his people and that one day those people will be redeemed and uh, that uh, one will come and restore all things in in that uh in that time and then when we turn the page uh, we kind of end in in uh discouragement in chapter 39 we turn the page to chapter 40 and we get uh those wonderful words comfort comfort my people and uh, Isaiah turns the page in his revelation and his prophecy and he begins to address Israel directly in terms of the comfort and hope that they can have and this is really interesting. This is where the plot thickens. And if you've been reading Isaiah, you know this. Uh, the book has gone from sort of historical and, uh, and these, these judgment prophecies and, and these glimmers of hope to now, um, we, we see Isaiah doing something. And, and I gave you a homework assignment. Uh, I'm curious how many of you, uh, just slip your hand up if, if you at least made an effort at the homework assignment. Okay. Uh, well, I'm glad to know all of you are taking this class as seriously as you are. And, um, uh, I just had to put in final grades for uh, my students on Friday. So I guess I will have to go back to the grade book and put some final grades in for the, the sorry, lousy class that, no, no, just kidding. No, no. Um, but uh, anyway, so, uh, does anybody even remember what the homework assignment was? Maybe some partial, some minimal partial credit might be awarded here. Melissa, I saw your hand first. Why don't you uh, chime in here and tell us so what what was the assignment? She was on read, read chapter forty. Yeah, chapter forty. Yes, that's read right. Chapter forty to the end. Yeah, yeah. to the book. Okay. Yes. Did we write the assignment down correctly is the first question. That's right. Uh, yeah, so so what I asked you to do was to read starting at chapter 40 on to the end of the book, or at least uh, we talked about the section that ends in chapter 48, and identify the servant. And if if you've done that, uh, how many of you have actually read Isaiah all the way to the end, at least at some point in our class? Maybe not this week. Okay. so. So that's about half of you. Most of you, about half of you then will know this, that uh, this theme of the servant becomes dominant in the second half of the book, in chapter 40 to chapter 66. And uh, so we want to get our feet wet today, just beginning to explore who is the servant and what is he going to do? And, and why is Isaiah so particular about him? Why is this a theme of the latter half of the book? Uh, so uh, let's turn our, our attention over to that right now, and we'll, we'll do that. Uh, for those of you just getting on, you can go to the chat window and download the notes. For those of you on an iPad or a phone where you may not be able to access uh, the download feature, I uploaded um, a link to the notes to our website. So uh, you can click on the link there in the chat window, and that will take you to the Grace Bible Church website where you can download uh, the notes for any of you that would like them. Okay, let me switch over to the PowerPoint here. And here we go. Here we go. All right. This is great. This is awesome. I've got, I've, I figured out how to do the two screens thing so I can actually keep an eye on all of you and look at my PowerPoint. And that's good because I've heard some of you have been nodding off. Uh, some of you have been catching up on your chores while I'm teaching. So, uh, I can, I can keep an eye on you now here. So, okay. So uh, here we go. Seeing God through judgment and uh, redemption. And let's get that going here. Uh, the title of the message today is the commission and work of the servant. 
Now, this is not the first time we've seen this, but uh, this is where things get very interesting. And in fact, uh, well, I, I won't ruin it for you. Uh, th- this is great. This is going to be a fun little study. And uh, seriously, for those of you that are uh, tracking along with us, I'd invite you to uh, read ahead this next week in Isaiah, starting in chapter 40 through the end of the book, and uh, and read about who this servant is. Now, for, for the one or two of you that did actually attempt the assignment, I want to give you uh, full uh, credit and thankfulness. Uh, what did you learn about the servant? Anybody that actually did the assignment, what did you learn? Okay, well, so I guess we move on. <laughs> what am I going to do with you guys? Okay, well, we will do it together. How's that, class? We will do the assignment together. Do you ever have teachers that, that do that? And you know, nobody does the assignment. They say, okay, we'll do it together in class. Well, that's what we're going to have to do. So uh, anyway, you guys can work on your repentance, and I will uh, I will plow ahead here. So the commission of work of the servant. Now, who is my my servant in Isaiah? Uh, well, the first time that we see this little phrase is not in our section, uh, but it's back toward the beginning. So uh, this little phrase, my servant, refers 16 times in the book. And uh, and if you combine some additional references, they don't actually say my servant, but they're a reference to the servant. You get something like 20 different references in the book, and, and you can expand it even further because there are extended discourses regarding uh, the servant. but So you see, this is a theme. This is not a, a one or two uh, occasion theme. That This is something that predominant, uh, is dominant in the book and particularly in the second half. So let, let, me, just, let me just get up to speed with you, okay? So, so take your Bible and turn back to Isaiah chapter 20. This is when we first read about this servant. This was back as you remember uh, back in this section, God is giving through the prophet Isaiah, um, prophecies against the nations. And this is in the section uh, where God is bringing a prophecy against Egypt and against Ethiopia. And uh, in, in the midst of all of this, uh, we remember this really odd story where as part of his commission, Isaiah was called to, um, well, I'll just, I'll just read it to you. Chapter 20, verse 2, the Lord spoke to uh, through Isaiah, the son of Amos, saying, Go and loosen the sackcloth from your hips and take your shoes off your feet. And he did so, going naked and barefoot. And uh, when you signed up to be a prophet, you never knew. You would never know what's going to happen. So that was part of his commission. Verse 3, And the Lord said, Even as my servant Isaiah has gone naked and barefoot three years as a sign and token against Egypt and Cush, so the king of Assyria will lead away the captives of Egypt and the exiles of Cush, young and old, naked and barefoot, with buttocks uncovered to the shame of Egypt. Okay, so remember that? You remember that prophecy? Who do we see here is called the servant in this verse? This is the part where you unmute and you tell me. Isaiah. Okay, that's right. This is Isaiah. This is Isaiah, okay? So the first time we see that little phrase, my servant referenced, it is describing Mr. Isaiah, okay? Now flip the page and go to chapter 22. Turn to the right, a couple of pages, and go to 22. And here we see a second reference in chapter 22, verse 20. Then it will come about in that day that I will summon my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with your tunic and tie your sash securely about him. So here we see Mr. Eliakim is called my servant. Okay, so it's Isaiah, it's Eliakim. So, so right now we, we can pull the car over for a minute and recognize that that little phrase, my servant, is not unique to one person, is it? We've already seen it used, uh, seen it used two times for two different people. So that, that kind of helps us to think about this theme in the book. Uh, we'll flip the page to the right a few more pages to Isaiah 37, and we'll see it used yet a third time, and ironically, uh, describing a third individual, Isaiah 37, verse 35. 
Um, by the way that he came, by the same he will return, and he will not come to this city, declares the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Remember, this is the prophecy where uh, God answers Hezekiah's prayer about stopping the Assyrian assault. And uh, here God says he will, right? He will answer Hezekiah's prayer. He will stop the Assyrians. And it says in 35, he will defend his city, meaning Jerusalem, to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. So here the servant is described as David. Okay, so we got Isaiah, we got Eliakim, we've got David. And now, okay, so now let's go back to our section in Isaiah chapter 40. And, and we've seen this um, in the second section of the book. We saw it last time in chapter 41. Excuse me, I said 40. Chapter 41. In chapter 41, we see the phrase, my servant, once again used. And we see it, first of all, in verse 8. But you, Israel... My servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, descendant of Abraham, my friend, you whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its remotest part and said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not rejected you. Okay, so now, so here's the question. It's been Isaiah, Eliakim, David, and now in the immediate context, it's Israel, isn't it? It's Israel and Jacob. We, we see those, those terms used interchangeably here to describe the nation of Israel. So as we come to chapter 42 now, by context, uh, we see that the servant most recently is referring to Israel. Okay. So with that in mind, let's now turn to chapter 42 and let's, let's jump in here. Okay. First of all, we need to remember the context. This is a big book and it's really important that we keep our bearing. The context of the immediate section that we find ourselves in is this. Israel needs deliverance from exile, but they also need redemption from sin. They have two needs right now, two dilemmas. Remember, as we turn the page to chapter 40 through the end of the book, the second half of the book, 40 to 66, uh, what's happened is Isaiah has transported himself 150 years into the future. This is long after Isaiah has died. And Isaiah is prophesying in chapter 40 to chapter 4 to 66 to the Israelites who are in exile in Babylon. So the message is really for the future uh, Israelites who find themselves in the Babylonian captivity. So the message of comfort that we've seen so far is a message of comfort that God will deliver uh, the exiles from Babylon and, of course, the reason that the exile came about, the reason for captivity in the first place is what? What was the real dilemma that led to the exile? Do you remember? Idolatry. Yes, it was idolatry. It's sin. It's injustice. It's rebellion. It's corruption. It's all those things we saw in chapters 1 to 39. And so, yes, they need deliverance from exile. Yes, they need to leave Babylon and come back to the land. But the real issue, the thing that actually caused the Babylonian captivity in the first place, God's discipline, was their sin and idolatry. Uh, so they need deliverance from exile, but they also need redemption from sin. Now, you remember most immediately in chapter 41, we saw this last time, is a courtroom scene, right? Remember the showdown uh, at high noon, right? At high noon at the OK Corral in the nation of Israel, the showdown between the false prophets, the, or excuse me, the false idols, the false gods who are impotent and 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 uh, incapable and unwise and, and they don't know anything. And there's this showdown that Isaiah has where he says, okay, let's find out who, tr who the true God is. And God comes into the courtroom and presents evidence that he is truly God. Do you remember how he did it? By predicting the future. And we saw in the future this this Persian Gentile king who's going to come and be the one to destroy the Babylonians and allow God's people to go back to their land. And uh, we, we didn't learn his name last time, but a few chapters later in the book of Isaiah, we learned his name. His name is Cyrus. So there's this showdown. There's no one like the Lord, right? And that uh, that chapter ends 
with this series of behold statements. In fact, the last sort of behold statement we see in chapter 41, verse 29, behold, all of them, talking about the idols, talking about the false gods, are false. Their works are worthless. Their molten images are wind and emptiness. Okay, so that that's where it ends. And then, again, no paragraph change. No enter, enter, right into chapter 42, this one. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, whom my soul delights in. Now notice right away that God, through the prophet Isaiah, is contrasting his servant with the false idols and the false gods of the pagan nations, right? So it's, behold, look at their idolatry. Behold, look at how pathetic they are. Behold, I alone am God. And then he says, behold, my servant. And again, the spotlight is put in the book of Isaiah on this person, this this uh, character we know as my servant. Okay, so with that running start, look at this. By context now, see if you can answer the question, who is the servant? Cyrus, maybe. Okay, I'm hearing Cyrus, maybe. Christ. Christ at this point. The Messiah. Okay. I look at the description. Now, now here, we, you know, we do need to be a little bit careful right here because all of you who grew up in Sunday school learned early on that when the teacher asks a question, 97% of the time, if you say Jesus, it's going to be correct, right? I mean, you learn that. It's Jesus. And, and, <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, so, and, and that's, and that's something we have to be careful about because th- does, does the whole Bible look forward to and anticipate Jesus in some way? Yes, it does. Is the Old Testament full of prophecies that point to the Messiah? Absolutely. Is Isaiah in particular a very messianic book? And do we see more prophecies about the Messiah than most other books in the Old Testament? Yes, 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 and yes. But we don't want to prematurely conclude that this is the Messiah. We have, now, now, now you push back if you think I'm wrong. We don't have any contextual evidence thus far that this is the Messiah. Okay, we don't. Now, we might get some later on, but we don't at this point. In chapter 41, who's the servant? Israel. Israel. It's Israel. Okay. Now, now this is going to challenge your hermeneutics, but, but, but let me say it again. We have to let the text speak for itself. Okay. We can't, we can't jump to a conclusion. We can't take what we know from the New Testament and read that back into the Old Testament, at least prematurely. Okay. Let's let Mr. Isaiah tell the story. Let's let him unfold it for us and, uh, I bet this will be more exciting. Now, now some of you, some of you, when, when you, when you rent a movie on Amazon or Netflix, you may really like to just speed to the very end and watch the last 10 minutes and ruin the whole movie. You may like to do that. And that's fine. You're welcome to do that in the comforts of your home. But the way we're going to do this in Isaiah is we're going to let this unfold chapter by chapter because guys, listen to this. The, the genius of this book. The wisdom with which God puts this together is really, really incredible. And we see it when we just take things one chapter at a time and we let Isaiah unfold this theme with us, okay? So so with that in mind, what we know coming into chapter 42 is only that the servant, according to chapter 41, is Israel, right? It is it is. Uh, the nation of Israel. Okay. So behold my servant whom I uphold chapter 42, verse one, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have now, now let's, let's stop right here. Pause here for a minute. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, but Keith, it's talking about the servant like an individual, right? It's not talking about a nation. It's talking about it as an individual. Well, you're absolutely right. God, uh, God through the prophet Isaiah is talking about the servant as if the servant is an individual. But I want you to see that's not unique. If we look back at chapter 41, verse 8, the exact same things happens. 
But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen. Uh, down to verse 9, I said to you, you are my servant. That word you there is singular. So God is talking to the nation as if the nation is one person, one individual. Okay, It's a collective use here for you grammarians out there. Um, so when we get to chapter 42, verse 1, it's not unique that God is describing Israel as his servant, as, as a singular collective unity. Okay, so behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one whom my soul delights. Now that goes right in line with 41.8 because 41.8 says that God has chosen Israel. Now, now things get interesting. Watch this. The servant is supported and chosen by God. He says in verse 1, my chosen one whom I uphold in whom my soul delights. So, so this is a very unique individual, collective unity, whoever the servant is, God is saying, says here that he delights in this servant. And furthermore, God has put his very spirit upon him. I have put my spirit upon him there. Now that's unique. We, we don't see that sort of language used very often in scripture, especially in the Old Testament. The Spirit was given to particular individuals and particular peoples for very specific tasks. In fact, when you go through the Old Testament, very, very often when the Bible says, when God says, I have put my Spirit on him or on them, the next thing you will read is the special task, the special duty that God is commissioning that person to, to carry out. And the Spirit, the giving of the Spirit, is, is the sort of supernatural agency that that person or individual needs to carry out the task. So, so look back at verse 1 and tell me, for what special purpose has God given the servant the spirit? What's the task? What's the commission? Bring forth justice to the nations. Okay, yes, to bring forth justice to the nations. Now look at this. He's appointed not just to bring justice to Israel, but justice to the nations. The word nations there is particularly addressing the Gentiles, the pagan nations. So this is interesting. So the servant, God's servant, is being given a task to go and bring justice amongst the nations. Now, when you hear justice, we have to be careful. Because we've seen all throughout this book various forms of injustice, haven't we? We've seen injustice in terms of political corruption. We've seen injustice in terms of neglect of the poor and the widows. We've seen injustice in terms of dishonest gain. Remember in the, the cartoon animation of the book of Isaiah that I showed you? And, and uh, in, in commerce, when they go to buy and sell, that they're using false scales and they're, they're uh, extorting money from the people. Remember also we learned the religious leaders are corrupt, there's idolatry, there's rampant turning away from God. So, so there is sin and injustice of every kind, and God says, but my servant is going to finally bring justice amongst the nations. We say, well, what does he mean by that? Well, look down. He says it a couple of times. Look at verse 3. A bruised reed he will not break, a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish, he will faithfully bring forth justice. Okay, and now watch verse 4. We get another hint. He will not be disheartened or crushed until he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands will wait expectantly for his law. That's a clue because the word justice here is used in concert with the word law, isn't it? Instructions. So if, if we, if we look at the parallelism used there, we understand that, that justice has the idea of instruction that leads to right living. Instruction that leads to right living. God is going to bring justice through the servant nationwide, worldwide, by bringing instruction that eventually brings about the sort of right living, the righteousness, the justice, that has been so lacking thus far in the book of Isaiah. Okay, does that make sense? You with me on that? So that's what he means by 
justice. Now, watch this. Look at this. He will not cry, verse 2, or raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. Uh, Many of you may recall uh, the book called The Bruised Reed by uh, the old uh, Puritan author. And uh, some of you may have read that before. And uh, that, that's, where, uh, that's where the title comes from, is this verse right here. But, but in context, what is he saying? He's saying the servant will not break a bruised reed or extinguish a dimly burning wick. You say, what does that mean? It means the servant, when he comes, brings help and hope to people that appear to be helpless. They, they appear to be beyond help. And, and you might look at Israel, at the nation of Israel, and say, man, they've committed idolatry. Their priests, their religious leaders are gone. They've been carried off in captivity. There's no hope for these people. And yet God says, my servant will not stomp out uh, those people, right? He will not um, extinguish a burning, a dimly burning wick. And, and if we flip that around, what it's saying is he's going to help them. He's going to do something to uh, to bring them the help and hope that they need. And this servant is personally commissioned, look at this, by the creator. Look at verse 5. Thus says God the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and its offspring, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. God takes a moment to remind his readers who is speaking. This is the creator God. This is the one who made the heavens and the earth. This is the all-powerful Yahweh. And verse 6 says, I am the Lord, and I have called you in righteousness. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you, and I will appoint you as a covenant to the people and as a light to the nations, okay? Now, again, if we're reading all this and we're understanding the servant to be Israel, the nation of Israel, we see, what do we see? We see what the nation of Israel has supposed to have been from the time that they were created, way, way back in the in the early chapters of the Old Testament. Israel was supposed to be a light to the Gentiles. They were supposed to be God's light to the world. They were supposed to be a recipient of God's righteousness. Um, They were supposed to be God's spokesman to the world of who he is and what he's like and what he calls people to do. That was the purpose of Israel, was it not? And so we see here the creator God commissions the servant, to carry that out. Now, notice some specifics here. He calls them, it says here, in righteousness. They are called to a certain manner of living. They are upheld and they are watched over by God himself. Look at this. I will hold you by the hand. I will watch over you. Now, watch this. This gets really interesting. They are given a specific mission of justice. We see that there, right? We've seen that. God is going to uh, commission them for justice. But notice this language in verse 6. Look with me at verse 6. This is interesting. And I will appoint you as a covenant to the people. Now, this is very interesting. We have not seen this language used before yet. We have seen God say many times, I'm going to make a covenant with so-and-so. I'm going to make a covenant with this nation. I'm going to make a promise with these people. But what we have not seen yet is God saying, I am going to make you the servant, this individual, this nation potentially, and the servant himself is going to be what? What is the servant actually going to be for the nations? See if you got it. 
So is there, I mean, if you take it in context, then this person is going to be a covenant. So how does that work? How does a person, how can a person be a covenant? See, that's exactly what you're supposed to say, Katie. You're supposed to read that and go, people aren't covenants. What? Yeah, yeah, uh, you're, you're getting applause from uh, the Green Hill home, okay? <laughs> that's right. That's ex- See, that's exactly what you're supposed to do. You read it and you go, what? How's that going to work? <laughs> and, and guys, this is, this is the genius. This is the, the unfolding of this book. It, it, it draws you in. It, it, it causes us to stop and ask questions and say, what is going on? How, how can a servant, how can a people actually function as a covenant? And the bad news is, guys, God doesn't tell us here. He doesn't tell us how it's going to happen. We have to keep reading. See, God wants us to watch the movie all the way into the final scene. We can't stop right here and say, okay, we've got it all figured out. This is unfolding revelation. So so we have to content ourselves now with this mystery that somehow the servant commissioned by God, who's supposed to be a light to the nations, to bring justice to the peoples, who's given God's very spirit, that, that what whatever... Whoever that is, he is going to function as a covenant to the people bringing about justice. And we'll just kind of have to sit back, relax, and enjoy the show because we don't know what that means yet. But we'll find out in due time. Okay? So he is a covenant to the people. Notice also if we uh, – we, he will be a light to the nations. Now, this should sound familiar. When you hear the word light to the nations, what comes to mind? Jesus. Jesus said, I am the light. Okay. Jesus said, I am the light. That's right. I think of Zion. Okay. Why do you think of Zion? It's supposed to be a light on a hill, right? Okay. Okay. That's right. It's the city on a hill. That's right. Now, are there any other times in the Old Testament where the Bible says to the nation of Israel, you're supposed to be a light to the Gentiles. You're supposed to be the example to the nations. 49.6. That's right. Yep, we, we, we're going to see some other instances in the book of Isaiah. That's right, Carl. What about before Isaiah? Is this new? Okay, let, let, let me take you back to school for a minute here, okay? Do you remember a guy named Abraham? Remember Abraham? Okay, some of you are looking at one another. Yeah, he sounds familiar. Uh, was that was he in a 70s rock band? No, no, no. Abraham, all the way back in Genesis chapter 12, is called by God, and he is given a covenant, right? He is given a promise. And, and if you remember, there were a couple provisions there. God said, I'm going to make you a great what? Nation. A great nation, okay. And as a function of that nation, God told Abraham, in you, all the families of the earth will be, say it, will be blessed. Yes, okay. So you see, this is not the first time we've heard this. Way back in Genesis, when God calls, when he creates the, the Israeli nation, when he calls the Jewish people through Abraham initially, he yeah. says, I'm going to make you a great nation, and you, as a nation, are going to have an effect of blessing on all the peoples, all the families, all the nations of the earth. So when we read now in, uh, Genesis, er, in, in Isaiah that he is going to be a covenant to the people, a light to the nations. We don't go, oh, well, what is that all about? We, we, we understand this is just one more way of what the Bible has been saying all along, that God intends to use the nation, the, the Israelites, as his light to the Gentiles, as his hope for the people. Now, now notice this. It goes on. Look at this. What is this servant going to do? Verse 7, he's going to open blind eyes. He is going to bring prisoners from the dungeon and those who dwell in darkness from the prison. Now, this is very interesting. What sort of language is going on here? He's talking about, well, what do you think? What do you think he means there to open blind eyes and and bring out prisoners from the dungeon? What do you think that's all about? 
sin. You think it's about sin? They're enslaved to sin. I don't okay. know. Okay. It could be a reference to being slaves to sin. Spiritual blindness, we might say. What do you think? Well, let me ask you a question. When we think about blindness in the history of Israel, what is God usually talking about when he accuses people's nations of blindness? What is he usually talking about? Unbelief. That's right. He's talking about unbelief, isn't he? Now, now, now you put it together, right? This servant is a light to the Gentiles. He, he's going to show them God's program. He's going to bring justice, meaning God's instruction that, that points to right living. And how is he going to do that? And you got to get this, guys. In order to do that, the servant has to do something that seems impossible. He has to open blind eyes. He, remember chapter 39? What's chapter 39 all about? Or not 39, uh, 41. 41 is all about idolatry, right? People worshiping idols, worshiping false gods, and they're putting all their hope and, and all their trust in these false pagan deities, right? And, and they're, they're lost. Guys, the nations are blind. That's the point of what Isaiah is trying to help us to see. And that's why God is saying, look, look at who I am. I created the ends of the earth. I'm predicting the future with Cyrus. And my servant will come, and he will finally open the eyes of the spiritually blind. He will rescue those who are in spiritual darkness from the dungeons of darkness, and he will allow them to see and be free. That's what this servant is going to do. Okay, and uh, and when that happens, watch this. Okay, what you got to see this. Okay, how do we know this is going to happen? Look at verse eight. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. See, God just underscores our interpretation that this is a spiritual blindness and a spiritual darkness, right? Because He's saying. I will no longer allow people to worship false gods. I will not give my glory to another, God says. I refuse to allow this idolatry to continue. I am going to rescue people. I'm going to save them. I'm going to open blind eyes, and I'm going to do it through my servant. Okay? That's what he's saying. And and right here, God's plan on your notes there is assured by God's very name. He says, I am the Lord Yahweh. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and now I declare new things. See, God has said, look, I've told you before, and now I'm predicting the future, right? God is saying again, How do you know I'm real? You know I'm real because I'm predicting the future. I will bring glory to myself by bringing to rest this idolatry and this pagan worship. I will open blind eyes. I will bring out prisoners, and people will be free. On your notes there, his name is Yahweh. He will not give his glory or praise to another. He has predicted accurately in the past. Now he predicts new things for the future. Now notice verse 9. We get the same thing that we saw in chapter 41 in the courtroom, right? I'm going to tell you ahead of time what's going to happen. Before they spring forth, I will proclaim them to you. Okay? Yes, question. Yeah, in Paul in Acts, when he's talking to Agrippa, yep, he takes this theme in 26 verses 17 through 18. He says, I will rescue you from the people yeah. And Gentiles, I now send you to them to open their eyes yes. so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. That's right. And I appreciate you reading ahead, Carl, because what we're going to see is that... <laughs> I, don't I don't have the notes, so I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, not reading ahead in the notes. I mean, just you know, reading ahead in your Bible and knowing your Bible well. Because uh, as Carl has illustrated, guys, the section that we're in right now, really through the end of Isaiah 
is one of the most quoted or alluded to sections of the Old Testament that we see in the New Testament. You're going to see parts of Isaiah 40 to 66 all over the New Testament, and Carl has helped us to see one of those. Uh, the, the, um, the apostles in the early church will actually use parts of this as references to their apostolic ministry. Okay, so, so hold that thought, Carl. That's a good observation. And we, we have to just kind of let the movie unfold here. The story needs to unfold, but we will get there. And so I appreciate you, you helping us to see previews of coming attractions there. Okay. So the point is, God says, I'm coming, my servant. I'm going to redeem. I'm going to free. I'm going to open blind eyes. I'm going to bring out the prisoners. And, and you can trust me. You say, why, why can you trust me to do this? Because I'm predicting the future. Spoken by Isaiah. Quotes that. Mm -hmm. So where is it? Matthew, just the Matthew 12. Okay. So now, now what's gonna what's gonna happen, guys? What's gonna happen when God uses His servant to open blind eyes to finally bring justice? Remember, remember, as we're reading this book, we're going, when are these people going to get it? How long will this injustice occur? How long will the corruption continue? How long? We saw Hezekiah, right? Maybe Hezekiah is the guy to come and bring it all together. Well, no, Hezekiah is not the guy. He crashes and burns at the end of his ministry. So when will this stop? And God says it will stop when my servant comes and he brings justice and he brings freedom from blindness and freedom from the dungeons of darkness. And I will honor my name, God says. I will no longer give my glory to another when that happens. Now, guys, on that day, look at what happens. Verse 10, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing his praise from the end of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that is in it, you islands and those who dwell on them, let the wilderness and its cities lift up their voices, the settlements where Kedar inhabits. Let the inhabitants of Selah sing aloud. Let them shout for joy from the tops of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the coastlands. Do you see what happens? When the servant fulfills his commission, when he opens blind eyes, when he becomes a covenant to the nations, when he finally brings justice, when he finally brings freedom, what will happen all over the planet? Answer Worldwide worship. Do you see that? That this is the longing. Remember when Paul says in Romans 8, the whole creation groans and waits for this day. Well, here, the whole nation, not just people. No, notice this. He talks about the islands praising God. Uh, he talks about um, all those in the ends of the earth. Um, they, they, they declare the praises of the Lord. This is, guys, this is what all of history is moving toward. A restoration of all things. A redemption of people. Uh, a good news going to the ends of the earth and finally bringing about a transformation of people to the glory and praise of God. This is what we all groan for. And this is what God will bring about through his servant. Okay, are you with me? Now, you'll notice there's a couple of geographic references here. You see Kedar and Selah. Kedar is to the north. Uh, Selah is to the south. But the significance in relation to Israel is that these were both Gentile towns. And what that does, follow me here, that underscores that this redemption, this transformation is not a national event for Israel alone. This is an international transformation. This is a worldwide redemptive operation that God will bring through his servant. And again, is that not what God promised Abraham? God promised Abraham, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. It's not just a, a, a Jewish thing. It's a worldwide international enterprise that God will use his servant, the nation of Israel, to bring these things about. Now, watch this. 
verse 13, we finally see God act. Look at this. The Lord will go forth like a warrior, right? He will come like a warrior. Now that echoes back to chapter 41, doesn't it? When we're talking about Cyrus coming and being God's agent to redeem the people from the exile in Babylon, right? So God comes in war. We see here in verse 13. Now, now remember, we, we, we have to walk and chew gum at the same time here, right? We got to keep these two things in view. There is an immediate need that Israel has to be freed from their captivity in Babylon and restored to the land, right? We understand that. And that's the time that Isaiah is writing this to, right? That, that's the people that he's writing them to, the, those that are in exile in Babylon. But remember, they do need deliverance from Babylon, but even more importantly, they need deliverance from sin and corruption and alienation and blindness and all these things that we've seen. So God comes in verse 13, first in war, right? The Lord will go forth like a warrior. He will, he will bring his, arouse his zeal like a man of war. And he will bring, look at this. He will rouse his zeal like a man of war. He will utter a shout. Yes, he will raise a war cry and he will prevail against his enemies. So God acts in this verse. We see the deliverance from spiritual blindness that was just talked about and the deliverance from exile. So both of those things come into view here. He was just talking about the deliverance from blindness. That was verses 9, 10, and 11. And now in 12 and 13, uh, no, excuse me, the deliverance from blindness was back in verses uh, 6 and 7. And now the deliverance from exile from the Babylonians, we see that in verse 13. Now you'll notice here, you'll notice that as we have gone through this section, we're not just talking about something specific to Israel, are we anymore? We're not just talking about Israel's deliverance from Babylon, although that's part of it. We're talking about an international deliverance, an international rescue operation from the blindness of sin. And that is what happens here when God acts. Okay? Now, watch this. Hang on. Let's shut that off here. Okay. And there we go. Okay. Now, I want you to watch this. Okay? Are your seatbelts fastened? Hang on to your hats. Are you secure? Are you secure to your sofa? Okay. Now, hang on. Watch this. Look at verse 14. I have kept silent for a long time. I have, I have uh, restrained myself like a woman in labor. I will groan. I will both uh, gasp and pant. I will lay waste the mountains and hills and wither all their vegetation. I will make the rivers into coastlands. I will dry up the ponds. I will lead the blind by a way they do not go. In past they do not know. I will guide them. I will make darkness in the light before them and rugged places in the plains. These are the things I will do. I will not leave them undone. God says, look, look up for a second. I want to see your eyes here. He says, I'm going to deliver them from exile, right? I'm coming in war to to deliver them in exile from the Babylonians, bring them back. We saw he's going to use Cyrus to do that. And what else is he going to do? He is going to make darkness into light. He's going to, verse 16, lead the blind. There's that spiritual renovation, right? He's going to, he's going to open blind eyes. He's going to bring about spiritual transformation. Uh, verse 17, they will be turned back and be utterly put to shame. All those who trust in idols, who say to molten images, you are our gods, right? So we're, we say, yay, God does it, right? He, delivers from exile, he delivers from sin, and he's going to use the servant. Now look at the next verse. Verse 18. Hear, you deaf, and look, you blind, that you may see who is blind but my servant. You don't look shocked. You're supposed to look shocked. I thought the hope was in this. That, yeah, Carl gave me a good shock look. Thank you, Carl. I appreciate that. It was a bit overdone, but okay. It was great. Um, the, the hope, right, is in the servant. The servant's going to bring this about. The servant's going to bring restoration. The servant's going to be uh, the, the, the bringer of good news to the Gentiles. And then 
God says to Isaiah, but there's a problem. The servant himself is blind. The nation of Israel is blind. And that is why they cannot bring about the mission that God has for them. Keith, so what are we going to do? Yes, Roger. He, he has changed in this who is the servant, and the translator gives you a clue by capitalizing the servant early on in, in, in uh, capitalizing the word servant. Okay, okay. Now in this, in this verse you're talking about, the servant is a small case letter. Okay, yeah. So what Roger is noting is that some English Bibles are trying to help us with the dilemma. Okay, and I appreciate that, Roger, and you're on to what's going on here. But again, we're watching this unfold. Okay, we're pretending that we're Israelites in exile receiving this mission. And what we're hearing is we're supposed to be the hope for the Gentiles. We're supposed to be the hope for the nations. And then God says, but there's a problem that we're blind to. And that sets up Isaiah's glorious surprise, mysterious, incredible point that we are going to learn next Sunday when we get back together. And what I want you to do, for those of you who didn't do it, is to read from chapter 40 through chapter 66, and I want you to tell me who the servant is. Because thus far we've seen it's Isaiah, it's Eliakim, it's David, it's the nation of Israel, and now what we've seen is that the servant, listen, listen closely, the servant as identified as Israel cannot and will not be the hope of deliverance, and it will not be the hope for the world. God must have something else in mind, and we'll find out what it is next time. Okay, put a comma in your notes, and we'll come back next week. Father, thank you for uh, the time in your word today. We are eager to see your plan unfold. Uh, you commissioned Abraham and Israel to be a blessing to the nations, and that Abrahamic promise, that covenant unfolds from Genesis all the way through the end of our Bibles, and 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 we are about we are about to ascend to one of the mountain peaks of the unfolding of that wonderful plan of redemption. So we're eager to see how it happens. Thank you, Lord, for these wonderful verses that have reminded us that you not only bring deliverance from exile for your people, but you bring worldwide redemption from the cancer of spiritual blindness that every human being suffers from. And we thank you, and we're eager to see that plan unfold even more. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.